Men are faced with unique challenges and many of our failures come from operating with boy psychology instead of the mature and evolved man psychology. We often find ourselves asking, what kind of man should we be? There are many perspectives about healthy masculinity and even more widely varying ideas of what it means to be an alpha. Today, my three alpha guests and I continue a six episode series on our review of the book, King, Warrior, Magician, Lover by Robert Moore and Douglas Gillette. They describe the difference between boy psychology and man psychology and give a very effective model of healthy masculinity by helping guys rediscover the archetypes of mature manhood. In this episode, we discuss the magician. If you're a man that controls his own destiny, a man that is always in the pursuit of being better, you are in the right place. You are responsible. You are strong. You are a leader. You are a force for good. Gentlemen, you are the Alpha, and this is the Alpha Quorum. Welcome back to the Alpha Quorum Show. Brad Singletary here. I'm here with a bunch of magicians. As we talk about this topic tonight, you're going to find out why these guys are themselves magicians. They don't know this, but I chose them to be in this series because I think they're all of these things. These are kings. These are warriors. These are magicians and they're lovers. Welcome back to Jay, Jim, and Clint Albright. Thanks for being here, you guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. So the questions we're going to answer today, what is the magician archetype expressed in its fullness? We're going to discuss some relatable examples of men living this way. We're going to talk about the bipolar shadows of the magician, the detached manipulator, and the denying innocent one. We're also going to talk about how a man can fully access magician energy within himself. This segment is about living life as a man with the energy of a magician. That's such an interesting title. That's such an interesting word as we talk about these archetypes. Um, when I thought of magician, I did think of some old school image, you know, some wizard type person who was, I don't know, casting spells. He has a wand. I don't know. I wasn't thinking of like Lance Burton or who, who's the magician? David Copperfield. Is Lance Burton a magician? No. Who is Lance Burton? Hey, Chris, you're thinking of Chris Angel. I'm thinking, yeah, Chris <laughs> Angel, mind freak. So that's, you know, those, those street performer type magicians. One of the differences about this, the, the mature masculine magician is that he, unlike the performers, he does tell his secrets. He does show his methods. And um, that's one of the reasons I'm calling these guys here magicians tonight. They each have special, very specialized training in their professions, but they also here are teaching you who are listening right now. And that's part of uh, what the magician does. So let's get rolling here, dudes. What is the magician archetype expressed in its fullness? So this is the healthy side. Uh, this is the mature masculine. He's a grown up and he can do certain things. What does he do? What does he know? What's he about? I think he's the knower of specific knowledge even if he doesn't realize 
that he has that knowledge or it might be commonplace to him, you know, some, you know, a doctor who knows how to set bones and fractures or an auto mechanic who can rebuild an engine um, or the airline pilot, you know, who knows how to land a plane uh, to them. It's commonplace and it's easy because they have those skills and that knowledge, but to others, uh, those things are shrouded in mystery. There's a great quote from the book that talks about what is magician energy. It says, all knowledge that takes special training to acquire is the province of the magician energy. Whether you're an apprentice training to become a master electrician and unraveling the mysteries of high voltage or medical student, grinding away night and day, studying the secrets of the human body and using available technologies to help your patients, a stockbroker, student of finance, a trainee in one of the psychoanalytic schools, you are in exactly the same position as the apprentice shaman or witch doctor in tribal societies. You are spending large amounts of time, energy, and money in order to be initiated into rarefied realms of secret power. You are undergoing an ordeal, testing your capacities to become a master of this power. And as is true in all initiations, there's no guarantee of success. So special knowledge, you said, Jay, or what was the phrase that you used? He's a knower of special knowledge. We've given some examples here. What other attributes does the magician have? He's an archetype of awareness and insight, but also has an understanding into the unknown, the unconscious, the underlying deeper energies that are at play. Yeah, he sees beyond the obvious he doesn't think in black and white. He like, thinks in the gradations of life. I think. Yeah, there's he's, he's beneath the surface of things, and there's complexity that he understands that's not common knowledge. This isn't common sense. Maybe common sense is coming from the warrior, but the magician has a deeper understanding of things. It's like he can see the whole picture. You mm-hmm. know? That apprentice has just seen the small pieces, but he's not seen the whole puzzle. That magician can, you know, paint that in his mind and help build, create, design that image. I like that it talks about technology and whether you're, this is, you know, medieval times and you've got a horse and a sword or you're in 2021 and you're talking about, I don't know, the the technologies of the day. Elon Musk or Bill Gates or Steve Jobs. Somewhere I saw something about Steve Jobs said that, you know, what, Somebody's saying about him, I don't know if he said this, but that what he did is really nothing different than magic. And I'm not really an Apple fan, but I believe that that's kind of really what this is. This is, can you imagine the things that Elon Musk knows to be able to do the things that he's done? So a master of technology, the knowledge that he has comes to him little by little. So you talked about the apprentice and I want to talk about in some of your professions or your past like career training and so forth, kind of how that works. But he acquires this knowledge little by little. He doesn't jump into the deep side of the pool. You don't throw him on the, on the big job right away. It's like, here's the nuts and bolts and give me the screwdriver. Mm, Less than that. It's um, day one, it's usually pushing a broom. In the trash. <laughs> Pushing a broom. It's like, you know. That's, that's how it goes. It's like righty tidy, lefty loosey. I mean, yeah. those are, we got to start with basics. The beginning. And the magician is the one who's teaching that guy. So that's what I mean about 
these men here are 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 that because they're doing that in in their own professions. They have special knowledge that they're relaying to people who are seeking something. Yeah, it says, you know, in the book, there's a part that, that talks specifically about that, that many human magi- magicians in whatever profession or whatever walk of life uh, are using their knowledge and technology proficiency for the benefit of others as well as themselves. And they're, they're working to turn that raw power uh, to the advantage of others. Something that you hit a lot on in the King episode, Jay, was about experiences. And I noticed that that comes up again for the magician, that they're, they're kind of using that, uh, what they've experienced in life or with the particular power that they're handling. Um, they're using their experience to, to guide them through the present. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a lot of professions out there that, uh, you know, use their experiences and their wisdom. You know, being involved with law enforcement, our experiences are really important. And you have the opportunities to relay that to other individuals through field training. And you get new officers who come in green and fresh and don't have a lot of that experience. And it's it's valuable to be on a call with officers who have 10, 15, 20, 30 years of experience because those experiences are valuable and you can go into a situation and and see things that maybe someone without that experience wouldn't have. Yeah, you're the OG. You're someone who's seen it and been there and done it and you can they 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 learn to trust themselves because they first trust you. I've disclosed before that I'm involved in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and there's a guy on there tonight in my meeting who is about to celebrate his 29th birthday tomorrow. So he's 79 years old. At age 50, he became sober. But like, I can, I can learn to do what I need to do because this guy's been doing it for 29 years. He's got special knowledge of how to maintain a life of discipline and uh, kind of spiritual fitness. So yeah, I'm curious about professions. If we could take a minute, you guys, and talk about what did you have to do? What are the new, what does the rookie go through? Uh, what is the process of initiation into your own field or the things that you've done in the past? I mean, for us, like I said, you know, you start pushing a broom and you're moving up to learning the parts and pieces that go into our work. And there's a lot of it. We put things underground. We put things in concrete. We put things in brick and wood, metal. And it's trial and error. It takes time to memorize all that stuff. There's tens of thousands of different parts. And then you've got theory you know, AC, DC, and it takes time. It takes schooling. It takes on the job. And then also being with a good magician or a good electrician to instill that knowledge down to them because that can, that can be negative. That can actually ruin, you know, an apprentice is <laughs> working them with someone who isn't confident, you know, maybe a, a masochist type um, magician where they're unsure of their knowledge. Now they're trying to train someone and it doesn't really work all that well. So it takes an understanding of the people working with you, their abilities, putting them with people who they can train, teach them their abilities. It's a lot of work. It's not just 
you just get in there and start, you know, turning nuts and bolts, lefty loosey, righty tighty. It um takes thought. It takes patience. It it takes um you know skills and wisdom that that you can pass down to these uh, these apprentices. So Jim's an electrician. I think you mentioned that, but you're is it you're a superintendent? Is that right? Yeah. So it, you made an interesting point there about it's not just. I can bet you that Jim isn't just very skilled in the electrical crap, you know, the parts and pieces and the, and the, and the like mechanical side of it all, but the people, cause I'm guessing you're not running wires, you're running dudes, you're running other leaders. And so you've had, you, you not only have the magic of how these electrical things fit together, but how people fit together and how my approach for this person, it's, it's fascinating Pers- to me how person- all of these things, all of these archetypes blend together. So this is king, this is magician. You've, you've got knowledge of people and how to relate. And a lot of those people don't realize these archetypes within themselves, all these different personalities. And, you know, reflecting back on myself, like as I was a young electrician and I would have an apprentice under me, I'm learning their personalities. I'm learning how to teach them. And then that evolved into a foreman's position where now – you're, you know, you got a crew of electricians and apprentices and you're, you're not only, you know, giving them the work, laying them out, but you're also trying to understand their personalities and put people where they're going to succeed because that's the only way I can succeed is if, you know, they're in the right place to help us succeed. You don't want to put confrontational people together. You don't want to put people in, in areas they're not as experienced. And then you, you know, you move up the ladder even more and now you have foreman underneath you and you're trying to teach them those skills. You know, it's not just at that point, it's not just the electrical trade, but it's people skills too. So, you know, you're trying to work some magic where you know, people have had a tough time in 2020 with the coronavirus and lost stuff and lost, you know, family members. And yeah, it puts another strain, another, it puts a, just another, it puts another layer of stress into someone's work. So, you know, you're trying to teach, you're trying to, you know, bring up these people below you, but then you're also dealing with the personal sides of it too. You mentioned earlier about how the the magician sees the bigger picture. And that's what it sounds like you're describing is that you, you're seeing layers of the process that the, the layman doesn't, you know, the, 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 the rookie, what, what do you call them? The, the apprentice. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even, he's not even thinking well, on even, that level. Even you have a young foreman and, you know, he calls me up about a concern of some of his subordinates or his people underneath him. I'm like, well, did you ask the guy what he's got going on? You know, <laughs> maybe he slept on the couch last night. Mm. Maybe his mom had a heart attack. You might want to kind of dig into those things before you start making some assumptions. So Jim, I want to take a picture right. So Jim's looking at me right now. He's got his glasses. Hold, just hold that. I'm going to take a picture. I'm going to put this on the, on the post because he's he's over here looking like, like a like a wizard. He's over here looking like, a, you know, looking through the top of his glasses like he's you know he got a little gray. He's got a little little white hair coming in the beard there and uh, <laughs> just wisdom, man. That yeah. it takes. Yeah. What that, did it take for you to get to that point? Years. I'm guessing two three decades of this. <laughs> did you guys just become best friends? <laughs> We had a moment. <laughs> he likes my gray. <laughs> now I can't post a picture. No, no, no. Childhood trauma. 
So what about you guys, your professions in terms of, you know, the magician it talked about is the ritual elder. It's the person who knows and who leads you along the path into the initiation. Now you have this power, you have the, the authority to go and do the magic. Talk about your, how that worked for you. The magic is in the bedroom. <laughs> That's, magic. That's next week, okay? <laughs> well, I can, I, I can say, you know, I, I started out uh, professionally as a school teacher. And besides going and getting your degree, part of that is you have to do student teaching. And so, you know, you, you talked about, Brad, you talked about, you know, learning your skills and your knowledge incrementally. Uh, it's really kind of what student teaching is, is uh, you're, you're paired in a, in a classroom and you don't just jump in and you're not teaching the full day. You know, you, you first, you, you monitor them and you watch what that teacher does. And then they might let you just do one lesson. And then the next day it's two lessons. And then the next day it's, you know, half a day. And then you, know, you progressively get to the full day and every day after class or after every lesson, you're sitting down with a teacher and they're talking about, know what you did well and what you did not so well and you're learning those things and you're learning about classroom management and and managing your time and, and working through all that stuff and so they're that initial magician and imparting all of their wisdom and, and teaching it to you so that then you can carry on and do that yourself i feel like that helps create flow that's something you know talked about here they're teaching you to eventually get into that flow state and I see that with guys all the time where they set a ladder up and they go up to do the work and they got to come back down and readjust their ladder. And then they take some material up and they're like, oh, I forgot something. So they got to go back and get some material and they come back and then they forget a tool. They haven't gotten into that flow state. They haven't gotten into seeing the, the whole picture. When you are in that archetype, you are flowing and it just, you get everything you need, you get your questions answered get your material and you just start flowing. And that is a great state right there. Wow. That's, that's magic. That's yeah. Being, that is that's magic. Totally being in a magical love the flow state mindset. How about you, Clint? You know, being a younger therapist to understand and to take in this wisdom, I think I had to take a lot from my own life experiences, like losing my father or going through the route 91 shooting and, you know, spending better part of 10 years going to college to, have all this education and I think education definitely brings a sense of wisdom and you know as I went through grad school I can remember the first time I saw a client and imposter syndromes hit me pretty hard and I just kind of think back to what my peers said my mentors um, books I've read and just try to grasp on to the wisdom and making sure that I don't falter or shake during those moments and you know being a therapist is a really weird profession you have people come in from all walks of life who have variety of different issues and they're kind of looking to you to find the wisdom that they need in order to grow. You know, it's a, it's a very privileged job and I absolutely love what I get to do. It's, it's a complete honor to guide people through their worst moments of life and to see them gain that wisdom for themselves and to walk the life that they want to live. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, so I'm in the same profession here as Clint, and it, like has already been said, you know, just starts little by little. You start observing, and then you do your own hours, and then you're being supervised, and then you meet weekly with the supervisor, and then the, the time comes when you kind of set loose, and that's the state I'm in now is that I, I no longer, 
I'm my own kind of licensed person who I don't have to really report to anyone. And I do continue to seek out, I guess, supervision from my peers, you know, colleagues that I trust. But I love the idea that you're just, we're learning in little bits and pieces. And then once you've learned it, then you become, you become the mentor. So part of this we talk about here somewhere is that you're not only learning from a magician, you've got to become that. And in order to do that, you're the teacher, you're the instructor, you're the leader, you're the supervisor. And to me, that's one of the most fulfilling things. I, I love nothing more. I, right now I have a few interns that I'm supervising and we meet every week. They talk about their cases. It's just really cool to share some little secret that I've learned. And sometimes the secret it's not in the book. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's the opposite of what the book told you to do. And I'll s- say, well, here's how I might approach that. Or here's one way that some, some people might look at this. And it blows their mind. It's, it's the coolest thing ever to just see the lights come on for people. I, I think I, I really love this, this archetype, this part of the book. That here. is a great feeling. So mathematics, engineering, astronomy, law, medicine, chemistry, any specialized knowledge. Another thing it talked about was the secrets of language. And we happen to have here tonight some great communicators. But when you think about your jobs and the things that you're doing, you know, you have vocabulary. Jim, you know words that I've never heard before. Jay knows topics and concepts that I've never considered and the same with Clint, even though we're in a similar profession, that's kind of the fingerprint of the magician is his language, the things he knows how to say. Think of the words that a doctor knows. He knows words that we don't know. And just by knowing the word, you have some framework for understanding. I feel like you could expand on that too, to body language. Okay. Like there's times I can see people working and they're not saying anything, but I can tell they're having a tough time. Body language. I can sometimes walk by people and I can see they're being they're they're having a tough time. They're frustrated, but they don't want to say nothing to me because they don't want to know. They don't want me to know that they're not that they're purposely slowing down, but it's taking them longer to do something. So, you know, I just say something. Hey, how's it going? What's happening? And you know, maybe I can share some insight to you know, help them and, and make their job easier so they can succeed because that is the goal at the end of the day. It's amazing. You're you're kind of talking about the magician sees the invisible. This is the the words that they're not speaking. These are the things that you don't literally know, but you know there's an intuitive process. You're sensing that someone is feeling something. It happens in therapy all the time. They're not saying anything. You know, the content of what they're talking about, it may be the opposite of what you sense in their feelings. And so to, to just take note of that, read between the lines, that's what a magician is doing, I think, a lot of times. I think they're also, they have that, you talked about that insight, but also understanding, you know, cause and effect versions from that experience that someone who's younger and doesn't have those experiences isn't going to understand almost kind of like that 30,000 foot view that you've been there, you've done that. So, whoa, 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 let's not, let's not do it this way, but this is why, and then redirect them and go the other way. Isn't that the story of the bull, the father and the son? Overlooking the uh, uh, field of, of cows. and Teach us, sage master. Let's hear. The son says, let's run down and bang one. And that father says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's walk down and bang them all. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Cut that out. Oh my God. <laughs> That's wisdom, son. <laughs> That's wisdom, he had son. he had foresight. The son was just like, real quick, hurry. Father was like, we're gonna get them all. <laughs> That's what electricians talk about at work. We do, we do. It's horrible. It's horrible what we talk about. I think going back to like um, you know body language, the language that we use, and like you you being a you know, bots and seeing your workers and everything, you're also a BS detector. Since you've gone through all these trainings, since you've had all this wisdom, you you know when to call them out and say, hey, this isn't the right way of doing things and don't, you know, sugarcoat it for me, just own it. And construction's funny like that, you know, we hide a lot of imperfections sometimes or sometimes we leave a lot of loose ends and yeah, I'm constantly drilling them with questions and they get frustrated and they get, you know, irritated with me, but there's a purpose to it. You're failing, which in turn, all of us fail as a group. So, you know, we need to bring all those hidden or those issues to to light so we can address them, so we can get them taken care of, so we can you know, move forward and, and succeed. And and the body language, they, they, they absolutely express it to me. I see it in them. I see it in their eyes. I see it in their jitterness or in their short statements to me, and they're not given all the details. No, and we, we see that too. You talk about body language and, and cues and in law enforcement, we call that pre-attack indicators and being able to identify those movements, those looks, they might not be saying anything, but they got that 30 mile stare and they're fixing to fight. Mm. So understanding what those cues are and being able to, to hone in on them can be the difference between life and death in our profession. Yeah, you can see through things like manipulation and denial. Discernment is strong with the magician. He knows when there's a wolf in sheep's clothing. He knows the tricks. I love the book, um, The 48 Laws of Power. It's really kind of a dark book. Have you heard, have you heard of that one? You, if you saw the cover, you might recognize it. But The 48 Laws of Power, I forget the author's name, but he kind of really talks about all these. It's almost like, this is a way to have power, but it's more like the tyrant power, the manipulator power, how to manipulate. And there's all these little secret things that you do to, you know, like, I can't even think of some of the things in the book, but it's really kind of scary. But I've encouraged people to read that, not because they want to become this manipulative person, but so that they can sense manipulation when it's happening. You know, when someone isn't committing to, to something, you can realize maybe that's a manipulation. So yes, the BS detector is strong in the magician. He sees what isn't there. And he knows that what he does see isn't always what it seems like he sees. So we once again have a saying for that, and that's you know, don't believe anything that you hear and only 50% of what you see. Mm. So this is just a weird kind of side note, but something that I noticed when I graduated from college you see the, you know, the dean or the who the president of the school, and he's conducting the graduation ceremony. We all have this these weird things on. This there's a gown, there's a little thing coming off of your little hat. The mortar board is what they call it, and it's like. And then I I remembered seeing like preachers on TV, and I'm like, why is the preacher wearing like a graduation outfit? <laughs> and then and then you go to court. I've been there a couple times. <clears throat> But you see the judge, and he's wearing this robe, and like, what is this about? And 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 it really th these things originally denoted those who had taken clerical orders. 
they had the mystery. They had the they had the mis the uh, they'd gone through the rites and the secrets and the oaths and the tests and all the things that kind of initiated them into higher knowledge. And one author talked about this is borrowed finery. Um, the robes proclaim a primary concern for things of the mind and the spirit, sobriety of life, and concentration of purpose removed from the largely mindless mechanical routines of our everyday world. The cap and gown announced that the wearer had accepted certain rules of living and had been tested in special kinds of knowledge. It's just fascinating to me about this stuff goes back centuries and centuries, thousands of years of like human history. And here we're going to dress up. And, and, and even when you think about, remember when they pronounce you graduated, they, you switch it from the right side to the left side. And some of this, there's even similarities in, in certain religious ceremonies and things like that where it's similar. So the bestowal of knowledge sometimes comes with symbols. And that's something that I really dig. I'm kind of an artist in my nature and I love symbols and even the the Alpha Quorum logo, if anybody's interested in it, there's some symbolism to that. But there's a spiritual aspect to the to the magician. In ancient kind of tribal societies, the magician was like the holy man, maybe the 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 medicine man, but he, there was a, a spiritual side to that. And there was also an interesting thing about sacred space. So the magician spiritually kind of understands the link between the seen world and the unseen world, like the human world, the world of nature, and the world that we can't see. Remember, he's not just seeing electrical currents or, or manipulation in the worker. He's seeing things maybe that are supernatural or he has an understanding of things like astronomy and how that matters to the world. He can navigate. And isn't all of this stuff just kind of tied into to one big truth and, and like the light of how things operate? Sacred space was kind of the container of raw power. In the book, it talked about the Ark of the Covenant. You know, this is Old Testament stuff. And then in the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, they were they were taking the the Ark, and and uh, it started to fall. And some guy reached up to, to to steady it, and he and he dies on the spot because he didn't have the he didn't have the privilege. He didn't have the he wasn't a magician. And um, only only people with certain authority could could kind of touch that because it was a sacred thing. So this is like the the sanctuaries and the churches and the temples and the prayers and the things you sing. You're asking for divine power to come down, and I, I really kind of relate a lot to that side of the magician that they they put themselves in sacred space, and that might be nature, that might be your canoe. Think of the ritual magicians who would like draw a circle around themselves and it's like, I'm, I'm claiming this ground. You know, this is, this is a holy space or I'm doing my, my ritual and whoever they're praying to and whatever they're doing. But we can enter this sacred space by listening to certain music. Preparing for this today, I was listening to, you would probably all laugh if you heard it, but it's this Om mantra. It's like, I don't even know what, who does the Om chanting. And there's no words, and it's just this, this, it's like 432 megahertz. I don't know. But it's about focus and concentration, alpha waves, beta, data, uh, delta waves. There's all this different kind of science about tuning in to concentration and relaxation and calm. So sacred space 
is of course, yes, the this is the holy ground of your, you know, your synagogue or whatever you may belong to, but also maybe it's in your vehicle. When you're coming home from work and you're listening to your music to get you in the spot to be able to go home and be cool for your woman, you know, and take care of your kids and calm yourself from the the chaos of the world. I just love the the spiritual side of the magician too. Any thoughts on that, you guys? Yeah, I like where you took it there. Isn't that cool? Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Definitely. I had an old boss coming up as an apprentice. He used to always tell me, you know, he he have his hat on for work, but when he came home, he made sure he, you know, it's an imaginary hat, but he made sure he hung it on the tree before he walked in that door. Yeah, it's like this symbolic, you know, disrobing of that side of me and I'm changing into another kind of identity. Mm-hmm. So I love like the symbolism of I mean, I really do. I like the symbolism of like religious things and just anywhere. I mean, a logo of a company. There's well, all kinds of hidden messages in places. It's been a like long that. time since I read it, but five star generals come from something old like Sumer Sumerian or Egyptian or the five stars represent like, you know, a high authority figure. And here we are with our military, the highest rank is a five star general. Wow. Yeah, so these are magicians who are playing a vital role, that five-star general, that's the ritual elder. He's preparing the next generation of leaders and generals to kind of become like himself. Um, one of the one of my mentors in life talked about leadership is to duplicate yourself. And think about in your trades and in, in your professions, you're trying to teach this guy what you know. And if you're the learner, you're trying to learn what this guy knows. And so the passing along of this special information I don't know. This is a this is such a cool topic to me. So let's talk about some examples of the magician. When when men are living this way, who who is that like? Um, I thought of one, but it's maybe a, a crude example. So this is a TV show, House. I th- I don't know if it was called House MD, but he was this was a teaching hospital in New Jersey, and this genius who was kind of a jerk, Doctor Gregory House. He was like this healer and there was all these like mysterious illnesses and they couldn't put the pieces together but he would always like intuitively just find the answer and kind of cure these people's problems that defied all pr- previous kind of understanding um but he would also kind of, he would kind of play mind games with some of his colleagues and he was a teacher so it was a teaching hospital so he would have all these i don't know the term maybe residents that were kind of following him around and he would pick their brains and quiz them and kind of play a little, but he, he always kind of figured it out. He was a jerk. He was addicted to pills. He had a limp, you know, and he was kind of an asshole, but that's an example of someone. If any one of you are familiar with that show house, um, just a doctor who wasn't just, didn't just have the ordinary stuff. He had this intuitive sense and could really like apply information that, Nobody even knows how he put it together. He was just a genius. What examples of a magician do you guys know? Nikola Tesla. All right. Tell me about that. He is the person who helped create AC theory in the electrical world. While some people were pushing DC, he was pushing AC, which for us, that's what we use a lot of is AC uh, electrical. It's, It's just a better use of electricity so you know this guy basically changed the world in, in some ways 
just think about that. It just it, it just looks like magic to me to think about. We don't even, we don't even care what it is. We just flip the lights on and it works, or we do the thing and it works. But Jim is one who has like the special knowledge of like way deep underneath and why it does what it does. Super cool. You know, kind of going on what you were talking about, Brad, as far as being a teacher, being a mentor, is I think about my dad who was a school teacher. And I I always go back to, I don't remember how old, I was probably 10, 11 years old, and my dad's my dad. Um, and I knew he was a teacher. And I remember him getting a call one day from the principal of the high school that he taught at who had been offered a job in a, a different town. And he called my dad and wanted to talk to my dad if he should take that job or not. Wow. And it really, it, it always just stuck with me because, you know, the principal, you, you always look at as, man, that's, that's the principal. That's, that's the, the top dog. That's the top dog. And he's calling my dad and asking for his advice. And, and it really kind of stuck with me that he must have that knowledge and that experience that other people are going to kind of that mentor for others out there. Yeah, he respected something in him and could, you know, kind of trust his understanding of things. Even if he had a different position, he knew that he had, like, developed something in himself that was trustworthy. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, so what does it look like when a man is operating from the detached manipulator energy? This is the active shadow. This is the unhealthy guy. Um, Something I think about is that he still has the knowledge, you know, he still has, he, he knows things. This, this manipulator knows what's going on in the world. He, he's got the special knowledge, but he's, you know, a lot of times trying to sell it. He's trying to gain from it in some kind of selfish way. And that's not to say you shouldn't sell a service or if you have a special, you know, I charge money for helping them through their problems, but this is a person who's doing so with manipulation. To go along those lines, Brad, I, I think of the the salesmen who I call it like breadcrumbs. They they give you a little bit, make you think that you can be just like them. Or you see the classes online advertised for you know real estate classes. They get you that that hook, get you in there, but they really don't quite give you all the information. It's like MLM stuff, like multi level marketing or whatnot. Yeah, yeah, you know. So they're they're making you believe that hey, you can be just like me, you can be successful. Uh, and they have the knowledge, but they're not wanting to give it all out. Yeah, that's what a sales letter is. <clears throat> you know, I've done some training looking at online marketing and stuff like that. And the sales letters kind of get you pumped. It doesn't really tell you anything, but it makes you think they're going to tell you. But now if you just put in your credit card and then they're going to upsell you. And it's just, it's kind of a racket really in a lot of cases. One thing the book talked about was like propaganda ministries controlled press briefings. It's funny because this was probably written 40 years ago or something, 30 years ago, this book. Censored news, artificially orchestrated political rallies. I'm quite sure that some of this has gone on in the last 10 or 12 years in our in, in the United States. So this is the power shadow, the overachieving shadow of the magician. They don't guide others. Like the magician is helping you along, mentoring you. This person leads you down a path you don't even know where you're going. They're using, like, deception and so forth. It reminds me of, like, what was it, Bernie Madoff? Bernie Madoff? Yeah, where he deceived all those people 
screwed people out of millions and millions of dollars, went to jail for it, said that he was uh, investing all their money. They would get a great return. And that was a pyramid scheme. Yeah. Was that Enron or was that Enron? Yeah, I want to say it's around that time. Yeah. I remember, I remember hearing about it. I, I didn't quite follow exactly what they were, what happened. One that I um, learned about through actually teaching some graduate courses was about women smoking cigarettes. Okay. So, the tobacco companies came to a guy named Edward Bernays. He was the nephew of Sigmund Freud, famous early psychologist. And they said, hey, we want to sell more cigarettes. Well, at that time, it was taboo for women to smoke. But for men, it was always portrayed in the media and the advertisements as like, this, this was a classy man. He has power. And this was right when women, women couldn't even vote, I don't think, at this point. But he said, hey, look, you've got half of, the, half of your market you're not even tapping into. So he was trained. He had special knowledge about psychology. And he said, we need to tap into the unconscious like drives of these women. And what was the unconscious drive? Well, it was to have power because they were so really oppressed at that time. He said, let's stage, we're going to stage this thing where we're going to show women smoking on TV. It was mind-blowing. And so there was this parade. It was like one of these, you know, Macy's, some famous parade, and it was black and white TV. And they showed these women gathered in a group marching, just puffing the hell out of these cigarettes. And they called them torches of freedom. And one of the, one of the guys was even saying, this, is, this was a phallic symbol. <laughs> and, and, and it almost represented, you know, not, not literally maybe the, the male penis, but it represented male power and here's these women. And then, you know, you end up with like the, I think it's Virginia Slims, the, the little uh, slogan, you know, we've come a long way, baby. Like, Hey, look at these women, these classy women who can smoke. And so now they've doubled their market just by tapping into like unconscious psychological energy for women needing, you know, to, to feel equals and so forth. Isn't that crazy? Advertising. So much of that, like subliminal stuff and just the emotion. I remember I did some classes on marketing and they talked about, you've got you to appeal to emotion. We have think tanks for that. Mm-hmm. Just to appeal to someone, to generate and increase sales. Yeah, alcohol commercial, it's always the fun people with the pretty girls in the and it's and it's amazing, and that's Great location. What, so what people want is that feeling, and so they they're selling the hope that they can have this feeling if they just drink Heineken or whatever. <laughs> Nothing against, I mean Heineken, but yeah, I think uh, withholding information is is a big one too because you know for me I can't grow if someone can't take my place. So if I'm withholding that information, to me I become. Some people might see it as job security, but I see it as just becoming like stagnant and there's no growth with being stagnant. So withholding information, this person's not growing, you're not growing, you're not able to move on. You know, there's a lot of manipulation with withholding information. It's almost like a form of power, a form of control. Well, you'll see that that not only just withholding the information, they're unwilling to share that information. So there might be five people in the office or on the work site that could potentially do the job, but they're like, no, 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 no. I got it. I got it. I got it. Because they don't want to share that information because then well, they get to keep it for themselves. And that's, you know, that job security. Yeah. You're kind of piecemealing a job rather than 
sharing all the information. And I hate to say it, but there's a lot of smarter guys out there that work underneath you and they have a lot that they can bring to the table as well. I mean, they're magicians in their own right. Mm -hmm. So giving them the whole scope or as much as you can, you know, share with them can actually benefit everyone in a whole. You might find a shorter, quicker, easier way to get it done. Yeah, I think that's where you, you see the difference between the detached manipulator and the magician is they both have the knowledge. One's willing to share it and be the mentor and, and build people up where the other one is willing just to keep it for himself. He has a lot of insecurities. He's scared of losing his position or people finding out that he doesn't have the knowledge. And I mean, in my field, we have so much to remember, to learn. You know, that's why we have code books so we can reference that stuff. You can't retain it all. You can't remember it all. You know, and you just got to, you know, your tribe, you got to be able to lean on your tribe, your warriors for your, for your help. One example in the book was about medicine and that in, you know, the highest paid people are the specialists, you know, the oncologist or whatever. And that they say, I, I don't know if I, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing this happens in every profession, but that they might withhold information that would heal the person because they could profit from medicine. I think there was a comedian, I don't know if it was Chris Rock or somebody like that, talked about, you know, ain't no, ain't, ain't, ain't no money in the cure. There's <laughs> money in the treatment. And I think that was like, I, I really feel like that's true sometimes. Like, and we need you to come back and, oh, and for this prescription, you need to come every month just so we can monitor it and whatever. And it's just this built-in kind of manipulation that's happening. Instead of saying, I had a doctor one time that told me, I had something going, I can't remember what it was, but he said, it's sugar. The more sugar, the sicker you're going to be in everything, in every part of your body. Get rid of sugar. And it was, it was just like old Asian guy, doctor, you know, he just, he had an accent and he, I felt like I, it was Mr. Miyagi telling me something that was important that was like valuable. A doctor telling me don't eat sugar, you would think they all say that. And maybe nowadays we're hearing more of that stuff, but Think of the simple truths that aren't being shared that would help people. That's a detached manipulator. Another thing it talks about is that he uh, he's not only hurting others, but he also hurts himself. He's caught in this continuous web of like pros and cons. I know people like that, and they message me, and they'll say, hey, which is better, this one or this one? And they never really pull the trigger, and it's always just this, you know, the Wheels are, cards. Yeah, the wheels are spinning. It's not really anything substantial. They're afraid to make the wrong decision, so they don't make any decision. They're kind of the always argumentative. The, they got the yeah, buts. Mm. Yeah, but this could go wrong, and what about that? And they analyze the shit out of things that they could just take some action on. Um, so they're detached in that way. All right, let's move on to the denying innocent one. This is the passive shadow of the magician. What are they like? I think they're kind of envious of those who, who act. They want that power and that glory and status that they see in other individuals. They're not willing to put in the work. Uh, they, they see someone rich or they see something, somebody do something good, uh, but they don't really realize all the hard work that went in on the back end to get to that point, and they're not willing to put in that work. Yeah, so they're, they've got this kind of jealous side. They want glory and fame, and they want the status, but not the responsibility. Right, yeah, you'll, you'll see them 
they'll see somebody, oh, that looks cool, and they start to do it, but after two weeks, they've lost interest because it's too hard. I think there's also a manipulation that goes with this too. So maybe they're sabotaging the successful person. Someone's on track and they're really doing big things and they sabotage it. And then they kind of have what, who, who me? And they're kind of playing dumb. And, and um, you know, there's this gaslighting almost. So they're qu making you question your own intuition. Like, well, wait a minute. I thought this was all worked out and figured out. And they create problems maybe to keep you from success. It reminds me of the trickster. Yeah. They, yes. Very similar. There's a quote that I saw somewhere and kind of preparing for this from Theodore Roosevelt who hated this type of person. He said, talked about, this is one of those cold and timid souls who knows neither victory nor defeat. So they're an innocent one, the denying innocent one. Gosh, that's disgusting to think about. And remember, we're supposed to be pondering, like, how, how do we do this sometimes, too? Do we play dumb? Do we kind of deny? Do we claim our innocence when really we're just we're not being responsible? I think we could all admit, especially in relationships, kind of that passive aggressiveness that when we get called on it, we kind of play the innocent. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I, didn't, I didn't have any bad intentions, but ultimately, you know... <laughs> you know what you were doing puts you in a defensive posture kind of faking this naive <laughs> pretending that you're innocent you're the innocent one all right so how do we fully access the magician energy a man realizes he doesn't want to be a manipulator doesn't want to be a you know sabotager the denying innocent one how does he start to develop this magician within himself i think like we've kind of talked about already before is one, you have to find a mentor, someone who gives you guidance, uh, directions and advice, but also you become a mentor yourself. And that more and more men are apps have absent fathers or don't have a good relationship with their father. Uh, therefore they're missing those good examples uh, of what, you know, men should emulate. And so having that mentor yourself and then turning around and being one yourself to others uh, that's why I think, you know, programs like Big Brothers, Big Sisters, mm -hmm. uh, those types of programs that give those individuals that haven't had a good role model an opportunity to, to see what one should be like. Mm -hmm. This part of the book, we talked earlier in one of the other episodes about initiation and rituals and so forth. Um, so I was heavily involved both as a young man and as a young adult leader in, in the Boy Scouts of America. And... So I was um, selected to be a part of the Order of the Arrow, which was kind of the honorary, this honorary kind of arm of scouting. And there was all this like symbolism. There were secret words. We went through this thing called the ordeal where, you know, you go out into the woods. And w w for us, it was actually to where we had summer camps. It was this nice, you know, there's a lake and there's, you know, just this nice camping area where they did all the summer camp. And we just basically did service but on very little food. We had a boiled egg for breakfast. We had an orange for lunch. And you're working, doing like cutting down trees, hauling wood, you know, digging holes and fixing, patching up the trails and so forth. And you had to be silent. You had to be silent. Oh, and the night before, they walk you out. And by the way, everybody's dressed in Native American garb, like feathers and everything. 
and back in those days, you know, there's no technology or anything. So they walk you out alone and drop you off in the middle of nowhere. And you just have to sleep on the ground right there. And we'll pick you up in the morning. I mean, I'm like 13 years old. It scared me shitless to be, I don't know if I'm sleeping on ants. I can't see anything. I just, and so I eventually, I probably cried, probably cried myself to sleep. But I just curled up and went to sleep. The next morning, wake up and work all day. And that night, there's this ceremony, this huge bonfire. And they come and they just, there's this kind of ritual feeling to it, kind of based on Native American culture. Very, very cool stuff. And um, there were these kind of membership statuses. And, you, you know, there was, a, there was a handshake. There was a, a couple of really cool things. And so... One of the things the book mentions is if you haven't done things like that, some kind of rite of passage, or if you're a mentor for a young man, to allow there to be some kind of you know symbolic initiation into this new power. And we talked earlier about graduations, high school, college graduations. There's you're wearing weird clothes, you're doing things that are you know that has meaning. It's just a ceremony of some kind, and um, I, that that was really cool. I love this symbolic spiritual stuff. I feel like uh, for a man to access his magician energy is to find purpose. Mm. To find purpose in what he does. That gives him direction, you know, that gives, helps him create flow, that helps him access strengths within himself that he may not have known he even had. So, yeah, definitely purpose will help you along your way. This is also mentioned in the book, um, and I think it's similar to the last archetype, is uh, needing to be regulated by the other archetypes. So the magician inherently is in a position of power, and if he's going too far, too left, too right, the other archetypes kind of check him. Yeah, he becomes a, if he's not checked by the king, Mm -hmm. he becomes a manipulator. If he's not checked by the lover, you know, he's maybe detached or the, the, the one who sabotages. I, I really like that. These all really kind of fit together in some way. You got to be all of these. That's the idea of this whole book to be a healthy, mature man. You've got to be all of these things and let each part of you influence the other part of you. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, this part of the book. And there was one part that talked about that the magician, the magician alone does not have the capacity to act this is the warrior specialty, but he does have the capacity to think. And it really kind of set home that, yeah, they all do kind of work together. And that, that, you know, we talked about the warrior earlier and having all the skill sets and being able to go and have that mindset. But the, the knowledge to do that stuff comes from the, magi- the magician. Mm-hmm. Going back to the sacred space uh, rituals, draw a line in the, you know, draw a line around you. Do something deliberate that is an attempt to like connect you with energy. You charge your phone, you, your phone's running dead, you plug it in. There are ways, and if you think about it, and this may not have anything to do at all with the traditional religious idea of spirituality, but to connect with something that charges you, you know, charges your battery, puts you into some universal energy. You, you, intelligence flows through you meditation that may be one of those things it may be for me being in the water um, when I'm in water I grew up in Florida we had boats and we were always at the beach or in a river and um, had a creek running behind the back of our house 
just water for me is a sacred space where I can just really connect to something like really deep, something pure in there. And um, now I just, I'm afraid to take my shirt off and go places, but. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a form of meditation for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It just brings me into the here and now, you know, when you're, if you're swimming, I ask clients a lot of times, when's the last time you went swimming? And the very depressed people say, oh, 12 years ago, I went swimming. If you're in water or doing anything that you're just immersed in it, the thing, whatever it is, hiking at midnight or what, you know, out on your boat, it is kind of meditative because you're so focused on the thing. You're back in a trailer. You're not worried about what's going on in your bank account. That noise. You're not mm -hmm. thinking about you're that noise. You're not thinking about noise. So this, this sacred space is, uh, yeah, it's a deliberate, intentional effort to just charge yourself up. And I think that's very important for a magician. I agree. That magician too, I mean, to fully access it, you you can't stay stagnant. You've got to constantly be learning, exploring. Definitely that's the ways to find that magician energy within you. Mm -hmm. Just because you're existing doesn't mean you're living. Yeah, ask questions, read books, Google shit. <laughs> I mean, like seriously, you can just learn so much if you're just open to it. And if you believe that there's information that you want, you know, if you believe there's information out there that you need and that someone has it, Jay can teach me a lot of things about a lot of things in Clint and Jim. And that's part of the, by the way, that's, that's why we're sitting here. It's 1030 on a Wednesday night. Everybody's got to get up early. And I'm just, this, this has been a magician kind of meeting here tonight. This whole thing, this podcast, the idea of the quorum and having people kind of supporting other men. Hey, I've got something, you know, one of my clients is a, uh, he wants to learn about welding. He's 40 years old. He wants to change jobs tonight. I'm going to go home and post in the Facebook group. Who in Vegas is a welder? And would you let some dude come to your house and like spark up your welder and like tell him what you think of the profession? Um, that guy's a magician and the guy who's coming to learn will probably soon be that someday. Man, this has just been a, a very valuable thing for me to have you guys here. Appreciate your like involvement. I'm liking this chemistry. I'm liking this flow. I'm like, we got regular contributors. You know how on the news channels they'll be like, so and so contributor. You know, you're. A, a, I want you to routinely come back. We still have two more episodes. I wish we could send people to you. Somebody might connect to your voice here. If that comes up, we'll talk about it. Somebody may want to talk to Jim. My son actually said he wanted to buy you a ice cream or something and chat with you for 20 minutes about the electrical. I world. love ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks guys. We appreciate you being here till next time. No excuses. Alpha. Gentlemen, you are the alpha and this is the alpha quorum. <laughs>